and I was exhausted. I went back to this miserable state of mind and wasn't very much in shape and I didn't want to live that again. I, I knew this kind of sensation, you know, when you are exhausted to this point. So I thought I need to do it for myself. So I exited my business and I started something else. I wasn't in a hurry to start something else. It's just that I became pregnant and I developed gestational diabetes. And because I have a sweet tooth, I tried all the low sugar chocolate they could find. I was honestly very disappointed. So I just thought, okay, maybe there is something here to do. Rim Selmi joins me on today's podcast. I always enjoy talking with entrepreneurs, especially those within the health and wellness field. As you'll soon learn, Rim is a serial entrepreneur, and she helps people become more healthy because she's done that in her own life. So her product under company is called Miro, M-I-I-R-O, and they make plant-based chocolates. So it's keto-friendly, low sugar, and they've given our listeners a special discount code. So if you want to try out some of their product, like I did while editing this podcast, I was munching on some of her chocolate chips and my personal favorite, which is the peanut butter cups, you can go to the website, Miro, M-I-I-R-O dot C-O, type in the coupon code become a provider 10. That's become a provider one zero, get 10% off. So enjoy this conversation with my new friend, Rim. Welcome to the Become a Provider podcast, a show about how people bless and protect others and how you can do the same. I'm your host, Justin Thomas. Let's begin. Rim, cheers to you. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. And so I know you lived in uh, London for a little bit. So in your honor, I'm having some English breakfast tea, but you're not English. You're, you're French, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I was born and raised in France. I spent quite some time in, in the UK uh, before moving to, to the US. I always like to do a quick intro so that the audience knows just how we connected. And then I always like to say like how you've provided for me. And so we're recent acquaintances where you have a company that you started and we'll get into. You're an entrepreneur starting a, a chocolate company that's very unique in a number of ways and more than that. And we'll get into that story. And I'm excited that I've got your sampler package. It's on its way and I'll I'll enjoy it uh, before we go live with this podcast so I can give my favorite ones to you. But I just checked before we started recording and your sampler package is in Texas on its way to North Carolina where I'm based soon and I can't wait to try it out. So thank you for sending that to me. No worries. Before we get into your entrepreneur story, what was it like growing up in France? I've only visited Paris once with my wife. So where were you and... We, we did go to the south of France, the uh, Provence area, which was amazing. And apologies to, to all the French that we don't know how to speak French. And so we were the typical Americans <laughs> trying our best. So where did you grow up in France? And tell us a little bit about that before we get started into your entrepreneurial journey. And that's probably, it probably like, you know, gives us some clues of how you developed into the entrepreneur you are now. So yeah, just what was it like growing up in France? I was born in the south of France in a, in a city called Mar Marseille. And, and basically I stayed there like, until my early 20s. And then I started to, I really wanted to see the world. I wanted to travel and see what's like outside. So I, I went in South Korea. I spent a bit of time there, a bit of time like in North Africa. And, and then I settled in, in London for about six years before moving to the US where I've been living here for about, about five, six years now. So basically, I have this strong culinary background from, from my mom, who, who is an amazing cook. And the particularity of the south of France is really the location. Like it's, it's on the Mediterranean Sea. 
So uh, you have all the influence. So there is a French influence, but also an Italian influence, North African influence, Middle Eastern influence. And the cuisine is really, truly unique and flavorsome. And, and my mother was, as I was just saying, like an amazing cook. So uh, I grew up with, without knowing it, like a passion and a curiosity for, for food. It's so amazing. And no matter where we grow up, even if it's the south of France, we still have this urge to travel. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure I'm sure some some people are ready to travel to to that area. And so you said it was in your early 20s that you decided to go see the world. Europeans are much better at taking more time off and doing some longer trips. And so what in the world made you settle in England? The reason why I I settled in England is because so Okay, so Europe is not like America, like where, for example, if you drive eight hours, you're still in America, you're still in the US, <laughs> you're just going like in a, in a, in a state nearby, but, but you're still in the US, where the culture is very like American, everybody talks the same language. In Europe, it's really different. You drive eight hours, you're in a different country with a different language, with a different culture, with a different gastronomy, with a different everything. So I really wanted, so first of all, I wanted to improve my English because as you know, like French really struggle with English. So I really wanted to, 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 to really like improve my, my, my English. And I also, uh, I also found a job there. So I was uh, job hunted and, and, and I thought, okay, why not? So I went there and um, so I started like uh, working for a bank and basically I started my, my career there. So, so it was really like to practice my English and also because I had this uh, job opportunity, I couldn't say no to. And then what did your family think about you leaving the south of France for, to settle in England? How'd that go over? My parents are immigrants. So when you are an immigrant, you always have the mentality of if you have to leave to another country to work or to, I mean, it's okay. Like you're always like prepared for that somehow. So I think that because I'm, I'm very close to my parents, somehow it was difficult for them, but like the priority has always been work. So um, it's the way like immigrants raise their children and, um, and I was no exception. So I think that, I think it was okay for them. They expected it somehow too, that we would leave one day. But yeah, it was a difficult separation. What do you think was unique about your childhood? Maybe you thought at the time this was just normal, but looking back, you're like, wow, that was that was a unique way of growing up or lessons from your parents that you value now as an adult. I think I've always seen my dad working very hard and being very focused. And I didn't value this too much when I was young. I was too young to understand it. I didn't know that, but he just set the foundations for me, like in terms of work ethics and in terms of, because, you know, as a child, you try to mimic what your parents do. And then when you grow up, there is still that stuff that remain deep inside. So I think, yeah, the work ethic of my dad, the particularity also, I, because I was born and I'm from an immigrant family, work was always placed in the center. It's something that I replicate now too. And I would say the fact that I saw my mom cooking and and showing her love through food was something that I didn't really understand, in the, not, not understand, but even try to process or to, it was just like that. It was, I didn't question it. But then when I left and I became myself a mom, I realized a few things. 
and and it's and it's very interesting because when I discuss with uh, children from immigrant family, even even in the U.S., it's actually very present. A lot of Asians whose parents are immigrants here say says the same thing. Like their mother's language was love. I mean, for love was food, and it's it's the case for so many immigrants. So so yeah. So it was my case too, and I realized this later on. And where did your parents immigrate from? North Africa. North Africa. Wow. What an adventure. So you have a great example of the work ethic and the food is love and uh, seeing that growing up. And then you start your own career in banking. And then from my understanding, those were really long hours and you were fueling yourself primarily by sugar. So go back to that time period in your life. You're starting your career. You're trying to do what was modeled after you of working hard and being a great worker, but you're, you're, it sounds like at that time, really starting to drain the fuel in your tank. Give us a sense of what your life was like in that time period. It was chaotic. My life was very hectic. I didn't have any time for myself. I didn't have any time to grow up. And when I say grow up, I mean, not just like growing up, being more mature, no, but, you know, seizing life as an opportunity, like using every single experience to learn because the only experience I knew was work, but it was extreme. I became someone I didn't really like in the sense that it was not a question of work ethics. So the way I learned from my dad, like, you know, who was still present for his family and everything, I was just absent. Like I just would go back home to, to sleep and then wake up in the morning, take a shower, go back to work and stay until very late and have dinner there and then come back home. It was really like this toxic kind of relationship for a job that I didn't even, I just went there because at that age, I didn't know what I wanted to do in my life. So I thought it was a great opportunity, which was somehow because it set up the foundations for my company, but it was not something that I was, I wasn't craving or was passionate to learn those uh, skill sets, to to crunch data, to 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 run like financial models. I didn't create this. In the morning, I was not like, oh my god, that's so cool. I'm going to work and I'm going to learn something else. I think it's a shame when you start your career because you start your career, right? Like you still have maybe 40 years before stopping to work, but. If you already start to see it in a very negative way, in a very like much I need it mode, I don't think it's positive for the future. And I had this relationship. So I really felt miserable, long story short. And this had an impact on my body and my sleep wasn't good. My productivity was really bad. Even my skin was bad. Uh, I would rely just on sugar for the, for the energy kick and on coffee and I don't know, a lot of bad stuff. And I felt that I craved all the time sugar, all the time. There was no veggie, on, veggie at all on my, on my plate. So this led me to start a dairy-free challenge for a couple of weeks. Uh, so first of all, I quitted my job because I thought, okay, we're not going to do that. Like for your mental health, you, you can't keep going like that. And then I started like a dairy-free uh, challenge and I saw like a very positive impact a positive impact on my sleep, on my mood, on my digestion, on a lot of things. And then I thought, okay, let's go totally plant-based for a couple of weeks. And I did that. And yeah, the results were mind-blowing. Like really, truly, I I never thought that a diet could do that to, to your health and to your mental health and to yourself. And also like the self-esteem it can bring you. 
I know it seems totally ridiculous, but it's something I really experienced with a plant-based diet the first two weeks I, I started. So I thought I don't want to go back to any other type of diet, even if as I, as I mentioned, like come from the south of France. So like the animal products and byproducts are very present, like eggs and cheese and, and milk. And I, I didn't want to go back to that. So I, I started like to, to develop those vegan Magnum style of ice creams for myself that I would bring to parties, to family, like uh, gatherings. And, and every time people would take them, like eat them with me. So, and from a couple of ice creams, I, every time I had to bring like two, three more until like I, I bring like batches of like 10, 15 of very small like uh, ice creams. One day my parents told me, I mean, you potentially have something here because everybody loves your ice creams every, every time you bring them. And I thought, okay, why not? Because those ice creams were vegan and they had less sugar. And it was about, I don't know, seven years ago. So it was in, like I was living in the UK and, and veganism or plant-based diets were not mainstream at all. So you couldn't find those kind of things. And this led me to create the first vegan Magnum style of ice cream in Europe. I, we had about two and a half years of research and development, and it was a really like a big success there. And sorry, the story is very long. There's always a story with entrepreneurship. Like it doesn't just randomly happen. So I love this. It's, it's so good. <laughs> if, I, if I could, since I've interrupted you, what was the moment that you said, I've got to quit my job though? Like that's a big moment that a lot of people might be in right now where it's not a healthy job anymore. And you made that leap. And so what was it, when was the moment that you said enough is enough and you took the risk and you said, I'm out of here? Sure. Um, you know what? It's when I realized that I was just following the crowd. It seems very like common sense, but actually it's not. It's not like about waking up one day and being like, I'm not happy. I'm going to quit my, it's a process. Sometimes when you're exhausted, you're like, by the way, why am I doing that? And and then you, you can't find answers to your question or the answers you find are really like, I don't know, they are not like relevant. Like, okay, I did that because maybe I didn't know what I wanted to do at that time. Because we ask to 18 years old or 20 year old people to know what they are going to do for the rest of their lives. I mean, come on, like the, 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 the system, like the education system, be it in Europe or in the US is really like people study stuff they will never apply for the rest of their lives. So instead of studying how to invest, in studying like about the stock market, how to create a company, how to, to be self-confident, how to instead you learn stuff that you will never ever use in your life. There should be something like for people who just don't know what they wanna do, but they are interested in a lot of things. And unfortunately, it's not something that the system provide you cannot be in this uh, in this box that is the question mark kind of box so but I was very much so I just went to something that where my friends went and and this is where I realized really I'm exhausted does it worth it do I really want to do this am I going to be able to do that for the rest of my life those kind of things what other competencies do I have and that's really what drove me to, to, to quit my job and to be like, okay, you know what? I, I just trust the process. And I, to be honest, I didn't know that I would become one day an entrepreneur. Never. Like, 
just the idea of becoming an entrepreneur was very scary for me, but I just did it out of necessity because I couldn't find a product that I really liked, those, you know, vegan magnum style of ice cream. And I, I needed this plant-based journey was somehow saved me. So that's really out of necessity that I created this company. So I created my job, started like to improve like my diet, like to cook a little bit. And, and um, at the same time, you know what? I Just to give you, like to tell you how much I was lost, I was just practicing my GMAT while I was already graduated. And I thought maybe I could do a PhD or maybe I could apply to another master's degree. And I already had like a master's degree in finance. I was lost. So yeah, so I think life really dragged me back to what I liked, which was food, but a different type of food, different to what I knew uh, in the past, which was really like having eggs, milk, cheese, and yeah. So yeah, so that's that's really how the transition uh, happened. And then you said you didn't see yourself as an entrepreneur, but here you are changing your lifestyle in a way that is healthy for you and you're seeing the benefits and your parents are like, hey, Rim, then you might have something here. And so did you incorporate the business in the UK and did you have to get investors or did you just bootstrap it? What was that process like as you started your company? So my company initially, so at that time I was just living in the UK. So in the UK, the way it works when you create a company, it's much easier than in, in the US. Like I think for 13, the equivalent of 13 pounds, which is about nowadays, I mean, yeah, it's about $15 or $16. You can create a company yourself. It takes 10 minutes. It's very easy. I just like created this company. It was like in the UK, we we didn't uh, sell outside initially of the UK. I just followed the flow. um, And every time I needed to, I didn't know how to do something. I would Google it. I tried to find people to help me. But yeah, but initially it was really just present in, in the UK. We were, we were not in the US. And it's later on when I had to leave to the US that, so in terms, sorry, I, I realized I haven't answered your question about investors. So um, initially we bootstrapped the business. So um, I took all my savings and, um, and I put, put the savings in the company. One day I had some investors uh, contacting me and saying they were really interested in what I was doing, what I was trying to build. And they started to invest in, in the business. Now, to be honest, having investors can be like, there is a very glamorous side to invest, like having investors. But I had a mentor who really warned me and she told me she was like, she built one of the most successful business in the, U- in the UK. Actually, she's American and she's very, very smart. And she told me that because she brought all those investors, she lost control of her company and uh, she had to step down and there was a new CEO. And it broke her heart because it was a labor of love and the biggest thing she ever built. So I was very, very scared of bringing investors initially. But then if I wanted to scale up this company, I didn't have any choice. So I tried to do it like diligently and trying to be cautious and trying to make sure that I really understand my contract, like, and they really insisted to co-create the contract, which was an issue for me, to be honest, uh, because it's not something that is standard. It gives a lot of power to a minority investor because they were minority investors. It put me really in an uncomfortable situation, but I think at the end with a good dialogue, we, we managed to 
to make it work. And yeah, and several years later, I had to leave the, US, the UK for the US for family reasons. So yeah, so I just like exited my business because I couldn't be there anymore. Especially there was like, was the beginning, uh, not really the beginning of, of COVID, but we were, we were almost there and I was traveling back and forth and, and I was exhausted. I went back to this miserable state of mind and like, you know, like wasn't really very much in shape and, and I didn't want to leave that again. I, I knew this kind of sensation, you know, when you are exhausted to this point. So I thought, okay, I need, I need to do it for myself. So I exited my business and I started something else. I wasn't in a hurry to start something else. It's just that I became pregnant and I developed gestational diabetes. And because I have a sweet tooth, I tried all the low sugar chocolate I could find. Growing up in Europe, like chocolate is very present. We have like amazing chocolate quality there. I was honestly very disappointed because of the taste or the aftertaste, you know, when it's low sugar, there is a very strong aftertaste. And I wanted something really nourishing because, you know, sometimes when you have craving, you eat the full bar. And I didn't want to have to eat the full bar. I just wanted to, after like eating like a serving or a serving and a half feeling satiated, and it wasn't the case. So I just thought, okay, maybe there is something here to do. That's, that's what I've done. I just went back after birth, like after giving birth to research and development and, and a year and a half later, we, we launched. Wow. So you had that initial entrepreneurship experience in the UK, kind of more of the ice cream bar for vegans. And then you have that experience with the investors. And then for family reasons, you moved back or you moved to the US, another adventure, and you exit your first business. And then after gestational diabetes, you say, hey, I need to get some low sugar alternatives that I actually like. And so you put back on the entrepreneur hat uh, as a mom. And and so is that when Miro was born? Yes, that's right. I gave the name Miro to the company because of because it's very much tied up to my story of uh, being like mindful of stuff, especially when I eat, because I had a lot of like problems with, with food, as I mentioned earlier, like this time in, in banking where I would just like eat primarily sugar, being so distracted by my, I mean, focused on my work and distracted on other things that I would eat like in front of my computer and um, and I just like mirror is just like a summary of everything that happened. It just like comes from Latin. It means to wonder. And it describes the idea that when you pause to enjoy, you're kind of transported to another place where, where you wonder, you're present and mindful. And, and it's, it's almost like a bubble, right? And um, so I gave the name Miro to this company because of my, my story with, with food, but also my story with my unhealthy relationship with work and then for for me I wanted to to be closer to the work ethics of my my dad in the sense that he was he, he has always been very he had always had like even if he was working hard he had this kind of healthy and positive relationship with work where he loved until now he loves working and he loves making his customers happy and and that's what I wanted to to bring in like with with this new company like where you know after you give birth and you have already a first experience in entrepreneurship and everything you don't want to do it in the same way than the first time where it's always so passionate and so I just wanted to have like a step backwards to do it in a very healthy way for my mental health 
um, but also to stay present with my daughter because she needs a lot of time. So this is a fascinating conversation to have because how do you achieve that? Like, how, how can you run a successful business and be fully present with your family? What are some habits that have helped you do this or maybe some boundaries that you might be able to share with other entrepreneurs or just people in a job that just want to do both and be successful in their career and have a you know great family life and be healthy? What are some habits or, or healthy boundaries that you put in place that you could share? So this was done out of necessity uh, just because I I had a lot of burnouts in the past um, in my previous experiences and to get out of a burnout is not easy it's not easy it's a very long process it requires a lot of efforts and somehow it can be demotivating somehow uh, because you can no longer work like your your brain is saturated it's emotionally you're drawn and and I just didn't want to go back to this, especially after having a child. And, and you know, I'm the kind of person who believes that you're accountable. So I, I thought maybe one day I'll have to be in front of her and explain why I spent so much more time with work than with her, while I am the one who wanted to bring her to life and she didn't ask for anything. So I thought, I need to change a few things. So to give you an example, I used to work every single weekend, like no exception, like bank holidays, weekends. I never had any, any holiday. And when I did have holidays, I was working. So um, I no longer work during the weekends, ex except when I'm very much in a rush. So I, I will work, but in the morning, I prepare her for daycare. And in the evening, I make sure to, to have like some quality time with her where, for example, we go for a walk or she takes her scooter and I run after her and it's actually a really good workout. Um, and otherwise we have dinner together, uh, these kind of moments. And then when she goes to bed, um, yeah, I, I finish my work. That's, that's the way I do it, just because I have to be accountable to her too. You know, parents can make, your, make you very successful or can also destroy you. And I don't want to destroy her through my absence while she's only three so yeah so that's something that I really thought long enough before deciding to have a child that's really what it's a necessity right it's it's the way it is like I cannot put my company before my child it's not possible so it's really through her love and through her through the need that I have to to cover her needs that I had to to adjust and that's a passion of mine is exploring this theme of how to be a healthy provider, to find a career that reflects your passion so your family sees you in your sweet spot and love the fact of, you know, that that mommy and daddy are doing things that they want to do. And then you're able to be fully present. And I love the theme of mindfulness, whether it's eating, like actually enjoying the food and taking a pause and appreciating it. And the same thing with being with our families. And that's why, you know, this podcast experiment that I've done has been really fun to hear how people go about this challenge of, you know, wanting to have a successful career, wanting to be fully present with the family. And, you know, eventually we all say to ourselves, like, my health matters. <laughs> a lot of times after some unfortunate burnouts with it. Thank you for sharing your story. So you're building the business here in the U.S. Give us a sense of like where the business is at. Is it all online sales? Are you doing anything in stores? And what are you most excited about? So at the moment, we only sell through our own store. What really excites me is 
all the possible products we could launch that really have the like this indulgence that I was looking for when I was uh, when I had like gestational diabetes. So it's very much like something that really excites me every morning. The fact that we can bring in more and more products, but also the fact that we can get more and more people join our mission, which was just like to create healthier plant-based products that taste as good as their alternative. Or sometimes it's difficult to do as good as because there is no milk, there is no sugar, but something that was so delicious, still so delicious, despite that it can be a bit less, that it would convert people to this kind of lifestyle that is healthier and, and better for themselves. So yeah, so that's really like those two things about like creating your products and getting more people like follow us in our mission that really excite me every day. Well, you have such a warm and welcoming website and communication. So even when I purchased the sampler pa um, package, because we're, we're actually traveling at the moment. And so I've got one at the house and I've got one at the the um, vacation home that we're at at the moment. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm doubling up. And and I loved how you sent out a follow-up email, of like meet our founder. And you have a little bit of your story with it as well. And you can just tell that this is not some corporate juggernaut where it's a very personal project of yours. And it comes across as just warm, welcoming, and genuine the happiness guarantee. And even one thing that stood out to me was because I also had a moment where I realized, oh, you know, sugar's not good for you. And and we're kind of, you know, it's interesting because the health industry is very polarizing in a surprising way. And as I dipped my toe into this new career, uh, myself getting into the health and wellness field, that was something that surprised me. I thought that we were all, you know, it was very obvious of what is health, but actually there's just, there's advocates on a wide range of spectrums with with food and what works for people. But one thing that I think is is very clear is that sugar is not good for us and and it's hard to limit it. I mean it's very addicting. I remember seeing some presentations for like the part of our brain that lights up when you have sugar is the same thing that lights up when you have cocaine. And so like it's a highly addictive substance that we yeah. enjoy and I and you know my girls have treats every day but we limit it and they appreciate it because of it. So one thing that stood out to me on your website, that was a long way of saying that you've really thought through how to sweeten it. And and I didn't realize it sounded like you had to source high quality erythritol, which is a sugar alcohol, which doesn't spike your insulin levels, which is great. And how do you find high quality erythritol? Like, how did that happen? Because I've never heard of someone promote that before. And that stood out to me. I know, I know. So when we started, so I, initially, I didn't know anything about low sugar products or sweeteners or because I when I was purely following a plant-based diet I would just like replace with traditional maple syrup like to sweeten my stuff or like my my, um, my cakes or uh, my coffee or just like coconut sugar but then just because they were unrefined sugar so not refined and and I thought it was enough but then when I got the, like when I developed gestational diabetes, I talked to my doctor and they said, okay, we need to talk. You have like gestational diabetes. And I was like, but how can it be possible? I have coconut sugar. I, I consume like maple syrup. Those are like, you know, like healthy sweeteners. And they're like, okay, you basically didn't understand what it means. So this really has an impact on your insulin. And they had to show me and to like they showed me graphs and they explained a lot of stuff so it was really beneficial for me to understand it from a medical point of view 
Then I did it from a business point of view where, so there are several types of businesses, a business that just want to replicate a product that um, is already on the market. And there's a business that really want to add some value. And I really wanted to understand what was essentially like a sweetener and how come there was this aftertaste why there was no sweetener that had no aftertaste like I didn't I didn't get that so I just went back to to the source of what a sweetener is I went back to I just tried to understand the foundations of like a low sugar product and and this is where I realized that erythritol can be boosted like if you ferment it and uh, and nobody talks about this because every, like not everyone but a lot of company wants to have like a me too product so they just take the ingredient list of someone else and they try to replicate and and they don't ask themselves some questions so what I did instead I wanted to go to have this approach of genuine research and development phase where I create a product because I understand everything that was in it there was no shortcut. You have to put the time and, and, and efforts and, and money as well to create a good product. And that's what I did. So when I went back to what was erythritol, to why some people like digest it so easily, but others say, oh, it gives me like some stomach cramps. And I realized that it's because a lot of the time the erythritol put in products is very low quality. So that's how I came up to the conclusion that we had to ferment it. So we did it, we tested it, and the results were great. So we decided to put like uh, fermented erythritol for our stevia. We just buy it from the farmer directly. For those of you who are not like uh, very familiar with stevia um, and have just like heard the name, but it's like a botanical leaf that um, has been present in Latin America for centuries now. So they were really used to to stevia um, and that is about 200 to 400 times sweeter than sugar so you just need to put a drop or a little bit of like stevia to to get this sweetener taste but stevia can have a strong aftertaste you have to add other ingredients to totally neutralize the aftertaste so that in a way where you can you can no longer taste it and that's what we did. So we just neutralized the stevia aftertaste to avoid that. I mean, to, to give the same like sugar pleasure you can have, like sweet, sweet pleasure you can have with sugar without the sugar. I can't wait to try it. So like I said, at, before publishing this podcast, I'll, I'll have my uh, review of my favorite ones and I'll let you know as well. And uh, and actually my wife just this year started growing stevia like in our garden and the girls found out about the plants and she, they and then like would eat the leaf, you know, and and they said, this is amazing. So I, I like it personally. So I'm excited to learn that you have taken the steps to understand what makes it even better in the combination and the fermentation process of erythritol. It sounds it sounds like a very thoughtful company and that comes across in um, in your communication with it. So we might have to do a, a round two after I, uh, after you continue to grow this company and every, and all the lessons learned, all the new products that you have here as well. I really appreciate your time uh, today. And so as we begin to wrap up, would you like to leave our listeners with anything or share stories that I did, did not give you an opportunity to uh, during this conversation today? Um. No, I, I, I don't have anything that comes to my mind. 
Well, I'm very appreciative of getting the chance to meet you, Rim, and to learn about your company. And so for those that want to experience your company, why don't you leave us with kind of like website or social or how to get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So our website is Miro, which is M-I-R-O.co, C-O, so not com. <laughs> I know that it's still like news for some people. How, what is co? <laughs> Yeah, so it's that co. <laughs> and then um, we are also on Instagram and TikTok, but most primarily on TikTok. And um, and it's for both Instagram and TikTok, it's Miro, uh, so M-I-I-R-O underscore plan base. Thank you for your time today. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. It was really great. Like, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want additional inspiration on being a more healthy and positive leader, sign up for my newsletter at justinthomascoaching.com. Every Wednesday, you'll receive an exclusive email called Healthy and Positive, which shares the strategies, products, and habits that I've found helpful in supporting a healthy and positive lifestyle. So until next time, access the newsletter and other resources at justinthomascoaching.com.